Only 16% of those interviewed said that the church was known for consistently demonstrating love for other people. 16%. Seems like we've forgotten what we're supposed to be known for. So in our series, Up at Night, we've been walking through this letter that, that John wrote. We started at the end of the book. We're actually working in reverse. And last week, I started a two-part sermon on how do we love others well. And so instead of keeping you here for an hour last week or keeping you here for an hour this week, I broke that one sermon up into two 30-minute chunks. And so I'm going to recap a little bit about where we started last week, and then I'll take us into where we're headed this week. I'll pray. We'll jump in. Lord, we love you. We need you. We built everything here on you and your word and your life, your truth, your gospel. We want to be known as Jesus' people, as people who love others well, especially, as John will tell us today, one another. So help us to do that. Empower us in Jesus' name. And everybody said? So we're in 1 John chapter 3. Grab a Bible. Go there. I encourage you every week, bring a Bible. I preach from the CSB version. I encourage you to get a copy. Perhaps it syncs up. But I want you to see the word of God for yourselves. We build our life, our foundation on God's word. So we're going to be reading from his word. It'll be on the TV and on the screen. But I'm reading to you from what God has already Written. And so this is what we started talking about last week. John tells us this. He gives us a command. In fact, it's two. He says, now this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. Two commands we began looking at last week. The command to believe and the command to love. That's an imperative in the Greek. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And as we said last week, to believe... And the name of his son, Jesus Christ, is to place your faith, your trust in God's son, Jesus Christ. Not just words, not an emotional act, but a decision of your will where you surrender to and trust all that Jesus is. And we spent a lot of time talking about all that this passage tells us about Jesus. Go back and listen. But we said belief is a decision of your will where you say he is the savior. He is my Lord. He is the rescuer from sin. He is my path to life. And Jesus isn't just your path to life after death. He offers us the life you dream of right now. And when you believe, there's proof. There's evidence in your life of the belief you claim. And do you know what that proof is? Do you you know what the evidence that you belong to Jesus is? And really the most quantifiable evidence, in addition to belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as sufficient payment of your sin, quantifiable evidence would be ongoing discipleship. He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. And listen, we are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We stumble, we fall, we get up, we start over, but we keep walking with the Lord. Ongoing discipleship is an evidence in your life 
of the belief that you claim. It's one of them. In addition to that, a changed life. Jesus' people want to follow Jesus. Jesus' people want to do what Jesus says. So there's obedience in my life. There's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. When God takes out a heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh and he transforms us, there's evidence in your life that God has changed you and made you new. And then the last one that we'll talk about at length today is a love for God's people. Now, yes or no, God's people always lovable? Man, y'all didn't really want to answer out loud, did you? But, but this is an evidence. In fact, if you back up a few verses in verse 14, John said this, We know that we have passed from death to life. We have gone from headed to hell to headed to heaven. Sons and daughters of the king, gone from death to life because we what? Love each other. That's an evidence in your life. It's evidence of the belief you claim. Anyone who does not love remains in death. It's an evidence of the belief you claim. So if you go back to verse 23, and Paul says this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love, loving others, isn't just words, it's obvious acts of love. And look, in a world that is paralyzed, by a ton of cultural complexities. It feels like, seems like we're at a place in our culture where we cannot even disagree without automatically becoming enemies. We have an opportunity in the midst of chaos, right in the middle of tension and turmoil and fear and saber rattling, to not only be known as Jesus people, but to be known For love. And listen, yes, we love the lost and searching. God loves the world. We love the world. God went to the world. We go to the world. But John specifically is talking about the way we love each other. Look, and you love one another, fellow believers, the way we love the church. And this is powerful. Because the way we love one another provides a powerful witness to the lost and searching world. And here's why. Because there needs to be a group of people somewhere that won't quit on each other. And there needs to be a group of people somewhere who will fight for one another instead of fighting against one another. And what I'll say next is not a drive-by guilty. And so I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about somebody you know, okay? (laughs) But people pick up and leave churches for the simplest things. They really do. Didn't meet my need here. Frustrated me there. Didn't like the way our parking at 915 was, was at capacity. We had people along the curbs. Even though we have 30 or 40 cars parked off site in the hallways or the... I didn't, you know, people leave for the strangest of reasons. So I want to commend you, man. Don't go looking for a perfect church. Number one, they don't exist. And two, if you find one and you show up, you know what you do? You mess it up. 
And this church, the church at Nolensville, will eventually do something that is frustrating to you. We're four and a half years old. Man, we've got a great team and we're leading well, but we're imperfect people. And eventually we will frustrate you. The answer is how do we love one another when those things happen? Because the Bible says it's impossible, but that offenses are going to come. So it's a promise that frustration and rubs will happen. That's why written into our leadership values, we have what's called stay at the table. Because did you know families fight? Did you know my wife and I occasionally fight? I'm a pastor and I fight with my wife. I admit it. We have heated fellowship. (laughs) It happens. But when we work it out best, we work it out and we sit around the table. We sit down and we dialogue and we work it out. Stay at the table. And John's commandment to love is a direct charge to the church to love your brothers and sisters in Christ well. As a witness to one another and a witness to the world. And so last week, summarizing the end of part one, we're going to jump into part two. I gave you two specifics about love. There's some great books on this, but we said, listen, Love is a commandment and not an emotion. You don't have to feel it to do it. And behavioral psychologists will tell you that emotion follows motion. Meaning, if you wait to feel the right things, you rarely do the right things. But when you start doing the right things, you begin to feel the right way because emotion follows motion. And a lot of our problems is we're just waiting to feel it and we rarely feel it. And we don't feel it, so we don't do it. But you start doing it. The feelings will come. And it's a commandment to love, regardless of whether people are lovely or unlovely. You love them because Jesus said to, and he's worth it. So it's a commandment. And then we said, it's not fair. It's not fair to love and not be loved back. It's not fair to love and be rejected. It's not fair to love I feel like it's pointless. And some of you, as we said last week, still bear the scars of trying to love. And I reminded you, someone else still bears the scars of his love for us. You never be more like Jesus than when you receive hostility and rejection and you breathe out love. Love is powerful. Jesus' people embody love. And so the last thing we said was this incredible quote by Daniel Aiken. He says, you cannot believe without loving, nor love without believing. There is no way that you can say you believe if love is not evident in your life. And you cannot love without believing because it's in that belief, that transformation, that God takes up residence in your life and empowers you and equips you for the life he's called you to. Which brings us to the point for today's sermon, and it's this. We're going to talk about today the power of love. And I know as soon as I say that, some of you already go back to Back to the Future, number one. And this song right here is playing in your mind. Play it. You with me? Come on, sing it loud. Some of y'all are singing louder now than you did during worship. And I don't know how I feel about that. But yes, the power of love, the great theologian Huey Lewis told us. Some of you are wondering, did Celine Dion do a version of that? Huey Lewis did it first, so we're going to do him. But the interesting thing about Huey Lewis, when he said the power of love, is he was talking about the end result of love. Love's power to make an impact. It's not what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about the power 
inside of you, where our power comes from that motivates you, the power source for your love. And the reality is, you cannot give what you don't have, and you can't accomplish this on your own. You need a power to obey Jesus. You need a power to love others as well. And as Christians, those who belong to Jesus on this earth and in this life, you have a power and a presence from God that few really ever experience and walk in. You have a power and a fullness of life that God has for you. The power of God indwelling you, residing in you to make you new. And if you go down one verse to verse 24, you'll see where John tells you this power comes from. He says, the one who keeps his commandment lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the, what's the word? Spirit. He gives us, John is talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And I know that when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't always know what to think. And there's polar extremes and the pendulum shifts between stuff we would never associate ourselves with. You know, as evidence, people would say of the Holy Spirit, all the way over here to people who just ignore the Holy Spirit's existence and don't want to talk about it. But I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said this, Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any other doctrine there is. He has confused it, surrounded it with false notions and fears. He has blocked every effort of the church of Christ to receive from the Father her divine blood-bought legacy. He continues and says, The church has tragically neglected the great liberating truth that is now for the child of God a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Holy Spirit, end quote. One pastor said it this way. He said, Satan knows that a Christian full of the Holy Spirit is a powerful weapon in the hands of God. But a self-filled person is a distraction and a source of disunity. And he went on to say that every Christian is either self-filled or spirit-filled. Wait, what do you mean? Listen, look right here. Every Christian receives the Holy Spirit the moment they are saved. You cry out for salvation, God saves you and he seals you with the Holy Spirit. It's the promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. You are forever and ever his. You receive the Holy Spirit. You are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You have every ounce of God you'll ever need in this life and the next given to you by God at the moment of your salvation. But indwelling and empowering are not the same thing. It's not. I'm going to ask it this way. Show of hands, how many of y'all have a kitchen stove in your house? Just always ask the question everybody can say yes or amen to. Now, some of you, some of y'all can absolutely cook. I see some of you have been to your house for dinner. You can get down in the kitchen. Others of you keep DoorDash in business. But you don't set a pan or a pot on a stove and expect anything to happen without, without an igniting. And the Holy Spirit indwells every believer, but indwelling and empowering are not the same thing. Think about what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing to Christians. So he didn't say receive the Holy Spirit because they already have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. 
He said, be filled by the Spirit. And filled speaks of influence. It speaks of control. It means be led by, be influenced by. Follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Be filled is the Greek word phlero, which means influence or control. It's an imperative. It's a command. He's saying, do this. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit's power in your life. God has already given you the Holy Spirit. You have as much of God as you ever need. The divine power of God is alive inside of you. But Paul's command to be filled, to be under the influence, to be controlled by, listen, look right here, means this. Stop filling yourself with yourself. Stop being influenced by, led by, controlled by, drug along by this world. The reason why our hearts and our lives quite often feel like shifting sand is because there's an empowerment, a leading, a guiding for you that's available to you that we're not leaning into. And if you're a Christian, you have all the Holy Spirit you need. But that doesn't mean you're being filled, being led, like Paul says, by the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled, when we have that Holy Spirit, here's some of the things and changes that he brings we, we, we get new relationships. I'm not mine anymore. I belong to Jesus. I, I get a new mind, which means I've been transformed. I'm being empowered. I'm being controlled by God. I, I not only get that, but I get a new nature. God doesn't just paint up the outside. God changes the inside of me. And fruit comes from a healthy tree. And if you want a healthy tree, you've got to get down to the roots of that tree. You, you get new desires, which means I desire to follow God now. You know what? You know why I read my Bible now? Do you know why I read it? I like it. I'm generous with my time and with my resources because I want to do what God says to do. We, we, we get a new power. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you. And you, you get a new life. Which means we're not perfect, but we're being transformed by God. And for some of you, the reason why loving others is so hard is because you're trying to do it in your own strength. And you're going to white knuckle it, and you're going to muster up the courage And you're going to say, this is the week I finally do this. You're not alone in this journey. There's a power that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide you and control you and lead you. And the Holy Spirit, man, he is your counselor. Have you you ever had a moment in your life where you think, "I I don't know how to do that? I don't know what it's going to take to have a breakthrough there. I don't know what it's going to take to love them well. Because they are just irritating. The Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask. And he gives generally, liberally, and without approach. If the Holy Spirit of God, the counselor living inside of you, ready to guide you and lead you, he's your counselor. 
He's your advocate, which means as we love one another well, but we don't feel like we're being loved back, and we wonder who's going to take up my cause, and who's going to stand up for me, and who's going to plead my case. He's an advocate between you and the Father. You don't have to defend yourself. He's your advocate. He stands for you. He's your comforter. When no one else knows, when no one else sees, when no one else understands, God himself has taken up residence in your life to be your comforter. And he's your helper. Stop trying to do this on your own. He empowers He influences, he directs, he leads. And I know all of this, and many of you know all of this, but if we're honest and we confess with one another, we spend much of our lives trying to do it on our own. But there is a power available to you this week to love one another well, for me to love my wife, my kids, this church well, in every moment you spend with Jesus, with God, with the Holy Spirit, changes you. And some of you, man, you don't feel like you've lived in the power of God for years, and it's gotten you exactly where you are today, burned out. I can't do this on my own. And God never said we had to. And so this week, man, spend time in prayer. Get in his word. Spend time in quiet, silence, reflection. Spend time with God himself who has sent the Holy Spirit inside of you to empower you to love others well. It is the power of love, God living inside of you to love others well. That's step one. Step two is for many of you, you, you want to begin loving others well here and other places. I want to love my brothers and sisters in Christ well. And I'm just dreaming up this grand, extraordinary act of love that I'm going to do. And as soon as I think of that right thing to do, I'm going to do that. Don't do that. Because here's, here's what P.J. O'Rourke said. Everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. Don't look at your husband right now. This ain't about him. Some of you are delaying loving well because you don't know what to do. Start doing the simple acts of love and obedience in your life and in the relationships around you. Emotion follows motion. The more you begin to do those simple acts of obedience and love, the more you'll feel it, the more you'll do it. Begin to do it. Church, you have a father that loves you. You have a father who's empowered you. Who says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You are mine forever. And John said, I want you to believe in the name of his son, Jesus, so that you'll belong to him. And when you belong to him, I command you to love one another. And there's, there's a lot of things that I would love for this church to be known for. But if we would be known for the way we love one another well, what a powerful witness it would be to the people around us. There's a power available for you to do that this week. So you're not on your own. That's number one. 
Lean into the Lord this week. Spend time with him. Be refreshed by him. Be encouraged by him. Be led by him. Because you're self-led or spirit-led. God wants to lead you. That's number one. Number two, I want you to think today. Seriously answer this question. Seriously do business with God. What are the simple acts of washing dishes that you need to do in your life this week? With the family of God here, with the family of God around you and your family, what are the simple acts of just washing dishes that you have neglected and forgotten, you've pushed aside, but those simple acts of love and expression could be some of the more powerful things you do this week. I pray that this week we would allow the love of Christ to compel us beyond words and into actions. And that we would love in both ordinary and extraordinary ways. Not because it will ever bring attention to you, but because it it points to the love of our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We long for you. We're desperate for you. I want our church to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to be saved and transformed. But I want the evidence of our faith to be alive. And one of those evidences is a love for our brothers and sisters. And so, God, would you allow the church at Nolensville to be a place that is marked by love? We don't quit on one another. We don't abandon one another. We fight for, not against. Protect the unity and love of this church as a witness to one another and to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.